do you know what it means to gaslight someone? It's when you deny someone's individual experiences. You dismiss their reality and make them feel like whatever it is they are currently dealing with isn't real or valid. We deal with thousands of these microaggressions within our systems of democracy, but are we gaslighting ourselves about the state of the economy? I mean, certainly there are jobs available with now hiring signs and more than a few windows, but millions of Americans are still collecting unemployment benefits. Welcome everyone, it's tax season and I'm bringing you nothing but the tea in taxes. I'm your host, Giovanni Pryor, tax enrolled agent, and this is Life in the Tax Lane. On this show, we talk about everything trending in today's news from stimulus payments to sales tax. So let's start the conversation. Right now, a little more than 20 Republican-led states have recently decided to pull out of federal unemployment benefits, and a majority of those states are ending benefits to those who have been unemployed for over six months, including self-employed workers. So what does this mean for future cash flow, or is anyone even planning for it? Like business executives and Republicans have blamed the weekly unemployment boost of preventing unemployed people from finding jobs. They want to begin the cutoffs in June, which is literally now. And rumor has it that Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Alaska, Georgia, Idaho, uh, Indiana, Iowa, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, New Hampshire, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, West Virginia, and Wyoming are going to cause roughly 3.5 million people to see their benefits come to a halt. In, in eliminating the $300 a week federal unemployment benefit is just one of several measures that states have taken to restrict or eliminate jobless aid and encourage people to go back to work. 35 states have reinstated the requirement that unemployment recipients start job search in order to keep receiving these unemployment benefits. And that requirement had been suspended since the start of the pandemic, of course, because businesses were closed and Americans were encouraged to stay at home. But the pandemic isn't over. Not even 50% of the population has been vaccinated. People are concerned, you know, about returning to work and they have readjusted their living expenses to survive on less. So are Republicans attempting to gaslight Americans into believing we can return to the status quo simply because we want to? 
And so, you know, if you are speaking out, specifically um, Democrat Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon, he was quoted in saying that the Labor Department must explore all options to keep these workers from losing their income. And he said in a comment to um, the insider, he said that states enter into agreements with the Labor Department in terms of administering these benefits. And there are serious questions as to whether they can just back out. Mothers without childcare are not going to be back on the job in just a few weeks time. And they shouldn't face financial ruin for living in states run by Republicans. And Senator Bernie Sanders has tweeted that he sent a, a letter to the Labor Secretary, Marty Walsh, reminding him of the department's mandate to provide pandemic unemployment assistance and calling for the department to ensure benefits to Americans in states that are trying to pull back. He tweeted, it is critical that the Department of Labor does everything in its power to ensure that jobless Americans continue to receive this aid as the law intended. So on one hand, everyone can attest to services everywhere taking longer to receive, whether it's by phone or in person due to employee shortages. Just try calling the IRS. You're guaranteed to spend two to three minutes following prompts in their automated phone system just to be told to wait 30 to 60 minutes for a live person. And that's if you get through because they can't answer all incoming calls most of the time. But on the flip side of that coin, you can't and shouldn't force people to return to work in uncertain or potentially unsafe conditions by way of taking away their benefits. Not only are they concerned in their workspace, but also how that could, you know, possibly affect their home life. And money is a huge motivating factor in the decisions that we make daily and for the future, right? Yet in too many families, the topic of money is taboo. We don't talk about finances as a family because parents don't want to put the stress on kids if the money isn't there, right? Is this causing our children harm though? If we aren't having meaningful conversations about money, we are leaving our children unprepared to manage it, let alone manage real wealth, right? If, if, if we're able to attain real wealth. So not having enough money seems shameful to discuss, but not discussing money or the lack thereof creates a lack of respect for money. Now we're gaslighting our children their, and their views about how money works. So I wanna talk about 10 rules that parents can follow for talking about money with their children and acting in ways that are consistent with what they're saying. Now, these aren't my rules, okay? I'm not the money guy, I'm the tax lady. But you can get great information if you be sure to check out 100 Wealth Building Secrets every Saturday right here on Envision Radio. But I recently caught a webinar presented by Glenn Kurlander, 
who is the managing director of family office resources and head of family governance and wealth education over at Morgan Stanley. And in this webinar, he outlined 10 rules that parents could follow for talking about money with their children and, you know, staying consistent with our messaging. So I'm going to do my best to try to paraphrase them all as accurately as I can, okay? But rule number one, get this, money is like sex. I laughed outright when I heard this because I'm like, where is this guy going with this, right? But he clarified and said, it's because they know more than you think they do, but they're confused by what they think they know. And it's 2021, so every child, probably over the age of six, has some form of a smartphone, a tablet, or a device that has internet access. So they've been exposed to much more than we give them credit for. I mean, eight times out of 10, they don't have a complete understanding of all of the information right at their fingertips. And if we aren't talking about money, sex, or whatever the subject matter is, then we are leaving their interpretations to the influence of social media and, God forbid, Wikipedia. I mean, I'm only 37 years old, and we didn't have a computer with internet access until I was 13. Then it was dial-up connections and a bunch of creepy chat rooms. I asked my mom for, like, encyclopedias for Christmas one year because, you know, you can only check out so many books at a time from your local library, but that's where my source of information outside of my immediate family and my neighborhood, you know, came from. I wasn't influenced so much by anything my parents didn't want me exposed to financially, but imagine how fast information is updated online in real time nowadays. And it's important that our kids have their ideas and values towards money aligned with our own and not from what they see trending online or elsewhere, right? Now, rule number two is think before you talk. Jesus knows I have a poor impulse control when it comes to my facial expressions and the words that follow after. So this is tough for me and my kids too because they get it from their mama, right? But the idea is to get your thoughts in order and be honest about your money values with yourself first before talking to your kids. There has to be consistency. And this part is probably much more difficult when a child is being raised in two homes and mom and dad have different values. Like my parents, for example, couldn't be more opposite. My mother is very careful about her money. She thinks long term. She's always, always looking for ways to invest and she's got this really entrepreneurial spirit. But my dad, um, he's very carefree about money. He, he sees it as a tool people use to control other people. And so he doesn't really care about money. My mom, 
she, she grew up like most women of color, you know, working to raise her kids, pinching pennies. But my dad's dad was the uh, famous late Wilson Pickett. So my dad lived a different life on the road. And when his dad passed, he inherited a trust fund. So they have very different ideas about money, to say the least. And so parental consensus will really only help to reinforce those money values to align with those of the family's values. It's tax time, and there are a lot of tax changes this year. If you didn't get your stimulus checks, or if you didn't get the full amount, file for syndicate tax, and we'll get you paid. Did you claim unemployment in 2020? Even if you didn't withhold taxes, you could still qualify for an IRS refund check. Don't miss out on these opportunities to get more money back. Syndicate tax professionals know all the new rules to get you the biggest refund possible. We can file your taxes in person or virtually using our secure mobile app. Just snap a picture of your W-2 and other tax forms and we can complete your return. To find out how, just give us a call at 502-220-4868. We have three offices in Louisville ready to take care of you. Call us now at 502-220-4868. Rule number four says that you should talk with them and not to them. And I think a lot of us know that having a conversation is a lot more effective than hearing a lecture. So you want to, you know, engage them and not put them to sleep. So you have to make sure that you aren't coming off dismissive or belittling their thoughts or any questions that they may have about money. We started the conversation talking about being gaslighted. Don't gaslight your children. It weakens their trust in you or worse, it makes them feel bad and you want them to open up. And rule number five, a question is worth a thousand answers. My favorite questions, are we rich? Are we poor? Like what are those definitions and what do they mean to them? So this is probably just as good as any place to establish values, right? And really be honest with your kids. Glenn, the presenter, suggests that you get your children to look at money as a vehicle to opportunities for themselves and the family, but not to let it be the end game. I think this is great advice, but putting it into practice is a lot easier said than done. And rule six, Keep your foot away from your mouth. So don't slip on casual remarks. You should be thoughtful about what you're saying to your kids. And, and remember that, that um, why saying, words are free, but it's how you use them that may cost you. Now, rule seven um, is sparked a few conversations between me and some of my friends, right? 
Rule 7 says to give kids an allowance, you know, that gives them choices and teaches them how to spend money. Now, here is where I also agree with Glenn when he says that he doesn't believe in giving kids money simply for doing chores. I will add in not to give them money for good grades either. Allowances, they're supposed to teach kids money habits on how to spend money or how to save money. When we reward our children for just doing what is expected of them, it sends the wrong message, at least in my opinion, because entitlements should be uh, intangible, not tangible. Things like love and respect, uh, protection and shelter, you know, food, clothing. Those should be automatically given without quid pro quo. So you shouldn't be rewarded for doing the right thing. But you should be rewarded when you make good choices. So allowances, you know, can vary uh, per child, obviously. So a good place to start is think about what can they buy with the allowance amount. It should be large enough to be able to allow them to make a choice and live with it, yet not so large that choices don't matter because they just have enough money to do whatever they want. So when we give them an allowance, let's say twice a month, it creates and sharpens budgeting skills. Kids can begin budgeting at any age. Like if the family is uh, going to the zoo next week because we're going to the zoo on Monday. You know, a child can choose to save their allowance to pay for a souvenir and a, and a snack when they go to the zoo versus spending all of it on a new video game as soon as you gave it to them. And summer jobs are an even better tool for our older children because they can learn to manage their own money instead of spending yours. Like money can really uh, stifle ambition and initiative, right? If not taken seriously, but it can also empower and create confidence in our kids when the right money values are in place. So my son Darius, he recently has gotten a summer job working at Kentucky Kingdom. I think I was more thrilled than he was, honestly. I, I have so many Xbox charges for downloads on my bank statements. You think I was the gamer. But I told him, look, you can spend your money however you like, as long as you are the one earning it. But my pockets need a break. And earning his own money and having his own debit card for his direct deposit gives him independence. And I asked him, you know, what are your goals for working over the summer? And at first, he, he wasn't even really sure. But after he received his first paycheck, he had a measure of what he can do. And he's already decided that he wants to save up for, you know, a larger purchase later. So, you know, budgeting kicks in. You know, really, at the moment that you give a child money, you just have to give them choices. But rule number eight, 
um, is to make an investment in them. So strive to create a culture of family partnership. If you have older children that are of driving age, you know, eventually they're going to want a car of their own. As with any investment, I think you respect it more when you have some skin in the game, right? So have your kids save like a third of the price for the car and then contribute the rest. I mean, if you're able, right? Because my parents never gave me a car. Now, my mom sold me a really great car she owned for a great price. And I guess would, would, would I have respected it more if she gave it to me? Who knows? Because she ain't that altruistic anyway. But she's always my resource for savings goals or financial advice because she's the matriarch of our family. She invests in each of her children similar to when my little brother bought his first home and needed down payment advice and assistance, right? That's what we strive to be for our kids. So rule number nine says that you need to walk the talk. So as the saying goes, um, if you want to live a respectable life, you should always try to be true to your words. Your words might be believed once, but you have to show the action in the long run. If you're unable to walk your talks, the worth of your words will be lost. And you don't want the wisdom that you want to impart on your children to just go right over their heads and out the door because you're not setting that firm example, right? And finally, the last rule, rule number 10, it ain't over till it's over and it's never over. You can start from anywhere with a great plan and values in place, but things change and so do your values along with it. I don't think anyone was fully prepared for this pandemic of 2020 to linger into two or more years, right? Depleting savings, uh, losing income, or, or maybe on the flip side, coming into unexpected wealth because of the pandemic needs like uh, hand sanitizer and mask sales. The economy, it's going to continue to go up and down in trends. So you will forever be having conversations about money values and you know what they mean to you and your family and if you are still collecting unemployment benefits for now or currently seeking new employment money remains a big factor remember a little more than 20 Republican-led states have recently decided to pull out of federal unemployment benefits. So again, what is this going to mean for your future cash flow? And after today, maybe it'll help you to be honest with yourself and your family and start 
having those sometimes difficult but necessary money conversations, it's equally important not to gaslight ourselves or our kids during these sensitive conversations. But before we go, I want to give a good news update on the unemployment adjustment of $10,200 for the 2020 tax year. Taxpayers can now look forward to receiving the overpayment of tax in their bank accounts as early as June 3rd and over the next several weeks. Some NetSpend and Chime users have already saw their deposits just over this past weekend. It's tax time, and there are a lot of tax changes this year. If you didn't get your stimulus checks, or if you didn't get the full amount, file the syndicate tax and we'll get you paid. Did you claim unemployment in 2020? Even if you didn't withhold taxes, you could still qualify for an IRS refund check. Don't miss out on these opportunities to get more money back. Syndicate tax professionals know all the new rules to get you the biggest refund possible. We can file your taxes in person or virtually using our secure mobile app. Just snap a picture of your W-2 and other tax forms and we can complete your return. To find out how, just give us a call at 502-220-4868. We have three offices in Louisville ready to take care of you. Call us now at 502 220 4868. That's going to be it for our show today, folks. As always, if you're in need of a tax professional or if you want inf more information about something that I talked about today on air, be sure to follow me on social media or check out our company website at www.syndicatetax.net. You can view our services. We offer four ways to file, and we have three locations in Louisville. But if you need immediate assistance, you can give me a call today at 502-220-4868 or email me directly at jill at syndicatetax.net. I want to thank everyone for listening, guys, and until next week,